On this week's Inside Marketing, we'll be talking all things digital. We'll be talking about programmatic and the evolution of the industry in the last 10 years. We'll also talk about some issues like fraud and see whether the industry has done enough to protect against fraud and safety. And we'll have a quick chat about where the industry is going in the next few years with the demise of cookies. I'll be joined by Ian Maxwell to talk all things digital and programmatic on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing. So I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Maxwell. How's it going, Ian? How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Dave. How's things? It's good. It's good. Yeah, not bad. We had a few problems trying. We're doing this in person, so we had a few problems trying to get the tech working, but we managed. We yeah, survived. We got, the, so. we got the square square plug in the square hole. Exactly. It's, it, it, there's only a couple of cables in it, but it, it, it throws me every time I have to do it. So I'm flipping between doing them in person and doing them, um, recording them off Teams. So, But we got it. We got it. We are here. Uh, how's, before we start, how's things? How's business? Are you working back in the office? Or are you mostly remote? And are you busy? And what's happening? Yeah, things 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 are good. Um, we've got a sort of a I guess a, a mix of people back in the office and not in, not in the office. Um, a lot of the the commercial guys have come back. We haven't mandated anything or specifically said right. we want to see you guys coming back uh-huh. two three days a week or anything like that. Um, and just I think organically people are just figuring out what's working for them. Um, a lot of the developers and the the ops guys are still predominantly remote. We've got. Mm-hmm. Some as far afield as Turkey at the moment. Right. Wow. Uh, having 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 a lovely summer. Uh, but yeah, no, for the for the majority, it's just it's almost back to to business as usual. We'd a we'd a big release over the last few weeks, a uh, big measurement package we've put into the platform. So we're now measuring um attention across every campaign and also the amount of carbon that or the CO2 emissions that are actually been spat out on a campaign by campaign oh, basis, right. which is um yeah, really interesting stuff. That's good. We might actually pick that up um towards the end. You can give me a bit more detail if you have any more detail on yeah, it. Yeah, no, absolutely happy to do so. Right. Well, we've we've a lot to get through. So, um, and who knows? I don't know. Um, you know, we may get through everything. We may not. But anyway, we'll, let's we'll kind of best. let's try and kick off anyway. So, uh, look, it's it's kind of obvious to say there's been a lot of change in the industry, which there has been. But the last ten years has been like a, a, a silly amount of change in terms of what's going on. Um, so, can you talk to me about just some of the changes that have happened, and particularly in terms of automation and how that has evolved over time? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, I, I guess a lot of it stems from how, how media has changed and how we consume media. Um, everything from from TV and the, the SVOD subscriptions that we now have um, through to audio and podcasts, obviously, 10 years ago. Um, mm. I certainly wasn't listening to any podcasts. Yeah, any old Egypt can have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anybody, anybody <laughs> could do it. Um, so that those those changes themselves have driven a lot of things. If we go back those 10 years to sort of 2012-ish time, that was when we were really starting to see the explosion in the programmatic space um, and, and all the challenges and opportunities that that broke, partic- brought particularly around um, RTB. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the identifying individuals became automated. Uh, we saw the the rise and the rise and the rise again of the multinational social media mm. platforms started to to explode as well, and the way we communicated changed, uh, and obviously that brought some challenges along the way. So not 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 all it wasn't all roses. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, then more more recently, um, that's driven a lot of um, privacy legislation uh, mm-hmm. and privacy changes that we've all had to be very mindful of, uh, and and become very au fait with. Um, and, and that's come at the same time. Uh, all of this has arrived as brands are demanding more transparency, and mm. there's needed to be changes uh, in approaches um, to how to how we are trading, and the automated side of that uh, has to change with it. Um, and then more recently, obviously, COVID uh, shifted yeah. more and more people online um, at a time where we're actually sitting across tables from one another, like we're doing now. 
uh, became impossible. So we we had to work out more more technical ways, more automated ways to work with one another. Um, and and as we come out the far side of that, the resource challenges that have um, mm. that have arisen from that. Uh, yet again, show a greater need for automation. Mm. You say resource, we've talked about a number of things. So um, the industry has changed, like for I, IOs and, and RTB and programmatic. So how has, you know, how have the regulatory or resource I just mentioned there, even technical changes, accelerated all of that change from your point of view? Yeah, well, I think, I think, I think first and foremost, it's been, it's been a positive change. If you, if you go back to the, to the beginning of what we all refer to as programmatic advertising, uh, and the RTB protocol that helps to execute all of that. It was primarily designed to help publishers monetize unsold inventory. Um, the real evolutions that came um, were when buyers started to get their teeth really into it and, and, and looking at ways to, to target the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been fine and it's, it's, it's delivered to a point, but obviously it brought, it brought a number of challenges with it and um, with brands wanting those better relationships with GDPR coming in with the likes of cookies on the way out uh, and, and just education, education yeah. in general. And there is no college course for what we do. There is mm-hmm. no, um, no module in the Leaving Cert, the kids who are sitting down today to write their, I don't know if they're doing maths today or if they're doing English yeah, today, yeah. but whatever they're doing today, uh, there's guaranteed none of it will be covered and the, in no, none of the programmatic world will actually be covered with it. Um, and to, to sort of keep, keep pace with that, um, publishers are starting to offer more compelling solutions. Um, automation is becoming more of a thing outside of the RTB protocol, um, particularly in areas like TV and audio, for example. Hmm. So again, a stupid question alert. Um, talk to me about different, the difference between programmatic and, and, and RTB and automation, because they're not the same. I know automation happens in any, in anything can be automated, but just talk to me about the differences between those for a second. Sure. So programmatic ad buying is the use of software to buy and sell digital advertising. It's effectively the execution or the, the final part of the, the plan. Um, automation is what most people mean when they talk about digital transformation. And it can be typically one of two things. It can be optimizing process by driving greater efficiencies, or it can be adding intelligence to the decisions we make. I guess automation is a far more, a far broader ex- term to, to cover the, the entire workflow of what we do. Right. Yeah. Very good. Now, uh, cards on the table. I we're we're probably going to have a get into an interesting chat here because I've and and I'll probably you know I go too far sometimes to try and get a bit of a debate going, but I do I, you know find the whole area of of um, programmatic and just where we went. I, I I sometimes wonder and we get into this a second. Like, did we lose the run of ourselves? So, Ritson Mark Ritson talks about this kind of failing that we have as an industry. And um, you know, I only know my industry to be honest with you. I don't know other industries. So whether we're unique in this way or not, I don't know. But Ritson talks about this pornography of change that we are just so drawn to that we just, we love change. And and quite often that change comes at at the expense of things that went before. So we we can we can tend to think that think that new stuff is great and it it, it bad old stuff is bad. Um even you you talked about um attention and engagement at the start. And Karen Nelson Field has great done great work here. And she talks about the same point as well. She says in a, in the life cycle of, of a product like there's a there's a, a worship um phase that she calls it. So um you know, most of the changes have happened in tech. Let's be honest; like other industries, other other channels haven't evolved with change so quickly. Um, and I kind of 
when I explain to people, we're, we're kind of like magpies, these new shiny things that come along and then they get our attention and, you know, we, we drop whatever we were doing before. We're really only interested in this. And then we get so excited about it, uh, you know, and it's like that analogy, you know, when, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So because we get something new, we are super excited about it. It's all we want to talk about. And it goes, we disproportionately invest in that. So long lead up to a question, but like, are we right to to jump onto things and double down on them so quickly? Or should we be a little bit, you know, things would be gone. Cookies, you know, I know, I know they were great, but if you, if you did, if you could cut 10 years out of our history, we didn't have them before and we won't have them again. So things come and things go. Do we get too excited about things, do you think? And now I know you're going to, because your industry is very much in that change and technology and, and ad tech. But from the outside, you know, I just think sometimes we, we go, we fall too quickly. Um, and we get too heavily invested in it. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a fair critique. I think we we often forget that not all that glitters is actually gold. Um, where where a lot of this stems from is that idea of one to one to one marketplace marketing mm-hmm. the 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 right user in the right place and the right time and the right this and the right that and the right the right the other. Um, and we're always chasing those vanity metrics to try and get there. We've we, we've never really, um, sure, I'm sure there's somebody who's stuck a, a T-shirt up online and said, hey, here's an ad for my T-shirt. And one person has gone and bought the T-shirt and they've patted themselves on the back. They made a little margin and gone on about their day. But for the majority of of, of advertising, that idea of one-to-one-to-one is mm. is an aspiration. It's 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 not a reality. And um, I think I think we've forgotten a little bit uh, about some of the realities over time as as we chase those metrics and we end up getting as an industry we end up getting bogged down in buzzwords we mm. we almost have our own version of the english language at this you point know, we where we our can false have gods and our and our fads we do well, even right? the fact we can have an entire conversation with each other using exclusively three letter acronyms um <laughs> is 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 something to behold i think i think ad tech Ad tech in general, there's there's been a lot of smoke and mirrors over the years. I remember Eddie Eddie Izzard did a skit years ago where he was describing, um, I think it was JFK, when he said his "Ich bin ein Berliner," which of course translates to "I am a donut," and the <laughs> entire the entire crowd cheered and uh, and 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 roared, and it was it was it was seen as a great moment. Despite this this claim, he wasn't going to Hamburg and saying "I'm a hamburger" or going to Frankfurt and saying "I'm a Frankfurter." <laughs> and, and and Eddie Izzard made the point that well, none, of, none of it actually mattered because, or certainly the majority of it didn't matter because 70% of it is how you look, 20% of it is how you sound, yeah. and 10% of it is what you actually say. And I think that, that that's sometimes how the ad tech world can 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 feel where they're, you're being bombarded with these acronyms, you're mm-hmm. being bombarded with marketing par- paraphernalia and everything else that goes with it. And, uh, and, and yet there's not a lot of substance behind it yeah. sometimes and being able to distill through that um, while still chasing that one-to-one-to-one idea uh, has become a great challenge. I, I mean, in, in any walk of life, um, you would you would focus on what you do really well and try mm-hmm. to improve that and then add to it, where I think things are probably a little bit backwards in our world where we kind of neglect or ignore some of the things that we do quite well and chase those small percentages while forgetting yeah. about the basics, where sometimes the most complicated thing we can actually do is just be simple mm. uh, and try and deliver an engaging creative to our target audience um, focusing on what we do well, I guess. Yeah, you're, you're right. You talk about that one-to-one, um, you know, it was like it was nonsense. It was garbage. I I think media, I think, and I, I mean, I'll say the media agencies, but like not just the media agencies. I, I think 
we kind of lost a run of ourselves to a degree and, and specifically media agencies. I think when you think about what, it, what the role of a media agency was supposed to be, it's supposed to be reaching as many people as possible. And actually there's a point where media agencies were we're unbelievably pr proud of the ability to avoid people, right? And I know that makes sense because you don't want to advertise um, certain things to the wrong people or somebody who's not interested. But like it became a, a, an art form of being able to, you know, how few people will actually see this. And, and, and the, you know, the, the promise was reducing waste, but it actually became, I think, the technology. Just because you can do something, we have the technology to do, it doesn't mean that you should do something. So, um you know, I think the capability that we had in 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 technological ability to target really small groups of people and find those people, I think it actually what it did was we created unhealthy, unhealthily small and unnecessarily small segments. So, um, you know, I've I've spoken to clients before who've got quite who've got quite a lot of um, data on their consumers and customers, and, and I remember talking to a client once, and they were telling me that they had like within a certain I won't say what sector they're in, but they had like. 41 different segments for a what you would call a, a specific product. Oh, it turned out they had two ads. And I go, if you're going to carve up audience into 42 things, you want to actually deploy them and execute them in media. It's a really expensive way of buying people. And actually, when you put the 42 segments together, it represents about 50% of the population anyways. It's just, it was just ridiculous. So, you know, did we, because we could do something, did the tail start to wag the dog here a little bit because if you don't have, there's no point in having segments that you can target in media that are addressable unless you've got specific messaging to appeal to those people. So what makes them different? It, it, they can be very different. They can look different. But if your ad message, if the same message appeals to both of them, 10 of them, then you don't need to segment them. So again, kind of, did we did we just get excited about things? Did we did we get to this one-to-one -one thing? It, it was a ridiculous notion. I get why we, why we were attracted by it. But it was unnecessary and never necessary to have to go that small. What do you think? Yeah, I think that um, the cookie and the cookie ID became the, we, everyone got a bit um, addicted to it. Mm. But I think more addicted to the idea of it more so than the actual reality of it. Yes, it was it was effective at helping us to, to retarget users. You stick a pixel up on your, your brand's page. Um, you add those users to a segment, then you retarget them. Obviously, um, since the introduction of GDPR, practices like that are no longer possible uh, or certainly shouldn't be possible. Um, but while while everybody sort of focused on that cookie ID, and, and, and in reality, it doesn't tell you a huge amount. It gives you a 20-digit a alphanumeric string to group people together. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. Um, we we kind of we, we all chase that tech in the middle to to make more sense out of it, while forgetting some of the basics. One one of the things we really tried to do at Converge is we 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 don't pretend to know more than the advertisers or the agencies in terms of what they're trying to achieve, and we don't pretend to know more than the publishers about the content or their audience. We simply give them the tools and technology to to mm. trade with one another, and to leverage the the business intelligence that they have. One of the, I, I, I guess, thinking about your your question, one one of the things we see quite quite commonly is that planning is almost a backwards exercise at the moment, which is which is determined by the tech itself. So mm. if you're if you're a media agency or a brand and your 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 plan is to do A, B, and C, when you go to your execution point, your DSP, and you say, right, I want to do um, I want to do A, B, and C, you you might be told, okay, well, we can't do A, B, and C, but D, E, and F are pretty yeah. close, and 
suddenly, well, that's the option you have. So that's the option you go with. And it all ends up being a, a little bit backwards. And obviously, if everybody's using those same legacy ad tech platforms, then one of the big questions has to be, well, where's where's the differentiation and yeah. who's actually making the decisions here? Um, even going down, digging down into, um, I, I don't know, say brand safety, for example, mm-hmm. where you might be a you might be a brand who wants to avoid drink driving incidents and you want to avoid all the content around that. And when you go to your your vendor, your vendor tells you, well, I don't have the nuance to actually deal with mm-hmm. that. But why don't you uh, why don't you exclude automotive? Because that'll include anything to do with cars. And that might be a sort of a, a fine-ish solution until you realize you are the 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 premier sponsor of Formula One or something. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly uh, again, again, the I guess the tail is wagging the dog in these in these instances. Same with same with some of the the affinity segments that Google might provide where you you're looking for, I don't know, beauty. You're looking to target beauty enthusiasts and it's been presented to you in in, in this form. But in, in reality, by ticking that box and selecting that segment, all you're doing is creating an auction and the the real winners there are obviously the platform themselves. So yeah. there's a the, there's a big there's a big sort of disconnect at the moment between the buyers and the sellers in terms of who's actually who who's actually making the decisions here and who's actually driving it. And for the most part, um, it's 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 the tech in the middle, and that's certainly it's one of one of our objectives anyway is to to give back those controls um, to to the buy side and to the sell side, and let the people who have the uh, the the the, the in depth knowledge of what they're trying to achieve there leverage yeah. that leverage that knowledge. Yeah, yeah, you you make a good point. Um, now. Yeah, we could go, we could talk about it. We, we've already covered lots, and we could go deep on anything. I just like given you you talked about um, the ad networks and and like yourselves and, and the ability to be able to um, package up and take unsold inventory from media from the publishers, and you know this long tail of what, what was then creative, what like you know blind buys, and there was a, you know some it was very early days. You didn't know where your ad was going to show up, um, and that kind of left us open wide open i think to fraud there, you know frauds when I mean, there's lots of talk about fraud um you know even it's it, there's always articles coming out about it as a thing i, I don't believe media agencies were fraudulent um, of course I, I would say that but i i genuinely don't believe they were fraudulent or or, or um media or public publishers i don't think necessarily you know i mean okay we we, we possibly i don't see what the media agency got out of it they, apart from poor um poor performing campaigns but actually when you think about the, everyone's inventory being pulled in and a long tail and blind buys and not having visibility. Uh, we did leave ourselves open to technology fraud in terms of unserved impressions, over-reporting um, and that kind of stuff. What What is the, you can speak on the on the industry's part or on your own point of view at, at Converge. What are we doing in that to, just to, to, to make sure that we don't have click bots. We don't, we're not, you know, reporting on unserved impressions and we're trying to reduce the amount of fraud. Because when you look at it, it's quite depressing when you look at, I saw something before, we were looking at, uh, again, it was a test drive for a car and, you know, we served 40 million impressions and we got, you know, we got 20 test drives and we were delighted. I, I wouldn't be delighted with that. I could have got 20 test drives walking out in Haddington Road and, you know, going up to it. I could have walked up to, up to Tesco stood outside and got 20 test drives for you. So, you know, like 0.0000, we're delighted with these numbers. Now, I may be being unfair, obviously, um, just to spark a bit of debate, but like, how, what are you guys doing or what is the industry doing to protect um, and to safeguard against just fraud in terms of impressions um, and that kind of thing? 
Well, I think I think the first the first thing I would say is that fraud is not unique to our ecosystem. Um, anywhere you have large amounts of money being transacted yeah. by technology, you're going to end up with uh, with degrees of fraud. Um, it's I, I mean even Elon Musk's uh, ongoing efforts to to take over Twitter there are highlighting or bringing a lot of these mm. a lot of these elements to the surface. There's there's numbers that are being bandied around that suggests forty percent of all web traffic is fake. Uh, for a whole variety of reasons. And that extends itself into the fintech world, for example. PayPal came out the other week and admitted that 4.5 million accounts that have been set up over the last few years, uh, which have obviously driven their share price, are fake. Right. Um, that that came off the back of a, an incentivized customer acquisition pro, uh, process where they offered people, I think it was $5 to sign up. And of course, once the, once the bots get their teeth yeah. into that, uh, you set up 4.5 million fake accounts with $5 a pop, uh, you can probably retire in the morning. Uh, you can probably go to one of those car showrooms and pick yourself up a few of those cars and yeah. a whole showroom. Um, in our world, it manifests itself um, in a number of different ways. Um, cert- certainly on the exchanges, um, spoof domains are still, I would almost say, the norm. Um, bot traffic is 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 prevalent. It's 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 not good. It's not yeah. good, and it's it's why brands um, and agencies have been pulling back so so vigorously from from the exchanges because just the grief of having to deal with those on a on an ongoing basis it's it's not worth the hassle i i would say um the industry is not doing enough and that's that's all of us that's advertisers that's yeah. agencies that's platforms like ourselves that's publishers um we're, we're we're not doing enough i think there's there's an element of um well if we don't if we all just stay a little bit quiet then we don't have to worry about this when in reality um the only people we're ultimately hurting are, are ourselves, and I, I'd I'd love to see more more of an issue. I mean, we we even saw a couple of weeks back in the states, um, Gannett, who are one of the big publisher groups over there, misreporting, um, their domains to the exchanges. They were they were telling people, telling advertisers who were running on the Detroit Free Press and bad stories on the Detroit Free Press that they were in fact on USA Today, um. And and that's the Gannett said it was an honest mistake, and we can take them at their word. But while honest mistakes will happen, it's just it's just another example of what's out there. And mm. um, one of the one of the big initiatives we have again is to try and bring the buyers and sellers closer together. It's to give people that choice, so you don't have to be diving into these areas that you don't know and you don't understand. Fraud is fraud doesn't need to be a concern unless you make it a concern and right. the habits and the approaches that you take can create that concern. So that's one of our big, uh, again, it's one of our big uh, initiatives is to is to bring the buyers and sellers closer together and to take away the unknowns that can crop up in the middle mm. um, and, and, and give, try and bring that trust back because that trust is so important and that trust is for uh, various points over the last 10, 15, 20 years has been lost for various reasons. Um, and yeah, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big goal of ours. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. You said at the start there, <clears throat> um, you know, once you have, it's not unique to our industry. And, and once you've got large quantities of money being, you know, and technology's got, I mean, you, it, not even with technology, once you've got large, you know, financial gains to be made and you've got human beings involved, there's going to be some fraud. So I think you're right there um, in terms of that. We, I think our industry just gets a bit of heat over it um you know I, there's there's always been i go back even to the days of outdoor where there was kind of tales of you, you had a site listed 200 posts and you you'd 
do with post before poster inspections and I'm supposed to have that one in Kerry and you're not on it. So there was always kind of fraud in advertising, I guess, and and kind of bad actors in terms of um any media. But but yeah, no, it is important. It's just so it, there's a lot of stuff and I, I know we're probably an industry that there's, there's a lot of people kind of in the long grass waiting and, and there's a lot of commentators want to um, talk about the negativity I think sometimes it's really unfair but look it is a big issue um, in terms of fraud technology again want to just talk to you about this um, so programmatic and the great promise was we don't need to, you know, if, you, if you're into golf, uh, of course, you can target people on a golf website, but but technology then, um, the great promise that it made was don't have to worry about targeting people on golf. So, you know, Dave Winterlich's interest in golf. Now you can find him anywhere he shows up on the open web and that can, you know, you can get him cheaper. And ultimately, uh, context became not really that important because you just, you, you know, we, we got excited about what was ultimately just targeting people. Um, and I saw a whole inverted commas strategies which there was no strategy in it it was just how we are going to target people so the idea of context became lost and I think again from a media agency point of view media planning 101 context matters right it's really really important so like the example I give is that if you think about it in the real world I go into lifestyle sports and I pick up a pair of trainers and then I leave and then I'm in a meeting three days later if someone burst in the door going hey do you want to buy these trainers I go it's not the right time I'm in the middle of a work meeting now but yeah that's what we do on the open web again we go it doesn't matter like I I don't want if I've not bought them um, I don't want to see ads for them when I'm kind of doing stuff at work or looking at kind of you know my child is sick and like so the context is really important and things but I think we 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 lost the run of ourselves and we didn't care about context now was that a mistake to to go to disregard context and do you think that context becomes far more important again with like the demise of cookies because we're going to have to go back to a context-based planning ecosystem I, I i don't think it was ever necessarily disregarded i think a lot of very good campaigns lived and died by their contextual targeting efforts um i think i think what what probably ha- was more likely happened is that the idea of that one to one that we spoke about earlier it's just more exciting yeah and it's it looks better when you stick it at the first page of a first page of a presentation to a client and say hey look we were able to find yeah. we were able to find dave who's looking for his uh, his his trainers uh, and we we were able to show him this ad it was probably getting the right environment for you that actually made you buy those runners um more so than the one to one advertising itself but certainly from a from an optics perspective that uh that that sort of shininess that we spoke about is mm. is certainly what would have driven it um and that's that's despite in a, in a lot of cases that that third party data as it was being mostly junk and uh, like even even major corporations who sell male female demo only get it right about 50% of the sorry 40% of the time right. so you you'd think sort of darts at a dartboard would actually do slightly better uh, from a cookies perspective, I mean, as far as as far as I'm concerned, as far as we're concerned to converge, uh, cookies have been dead for a few years now. Right. Um, Chrome Chrome is the final the final resting spot of the cookie, and whether Google ever get rid of it or not, I think has become more of a it's debate the most these drawn days. Out. Than, it's the most drawn out thing yeah, ever. Yeah, I can't believe we're still talking about it. Yeah, but. I know. I think I think I've, I wrote a piece uh, that I threw up on LinkedIn or somewhere at the beginning of 2020, thinking, yeah, here we go. This yeah. is what the next eight months are going to look like and how it's going to evolve. And here we are. And here we are. Two, two and a half years later still still talking about this thing so we've we've kind of just moved on mm. um partially because I'm fed up talking about it uh partially because um there's a lot of efforts going into recreating what the cookie is when in reality that's that's never going to be feasible yeah. um and 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 
while budgets are still funnel being funneled into Chrome because it does have cookies there, it's it, it's actually a largely negative impact at this stage. At a, at a very basic level, we know people who own iPhones, for example, mm. typically have larger disposable or more disposable income available to themselves. Um, so why would we exclude those people from targeting when we're trying to sell those runners yeah. to them? Um, because a spreadsheet at the end will tell us that, oh, well, you managed to sell this many. Even for something like frequency caps, cookies have been fundamental to frequency capping. But there's plenty of data points out there. And at a very basic level, if you, again, going back to the previous topic of fraud, if you actually show real ads to real people, frequency capping doesn't actually matter that much. Because if you think of your web behavior and the sheer mm. volume of ads that you are exposed to, there is no consideration there in terms of you seeing hundreds of the same ads every day. What's well, these hundreds of the same ads every day are bots. And that's where you mm. need frequency capping. So you solve one problem, you solve all the problems. There's also from a, a future a future targeting perspective, there's lots of intent that can be taken from the page. If you're on The Independent or The Irish Times, you've got that search bar that's up in the top right-hand corner. So mm. if somebody is searching for, I, I don't know, the, the Formula One over the weekend, I'll reference yeah, yeah. that again. Uh, you know there's a motorsport fan and you can make decisions based on that. You don't need to know every, every, every detail no. about that individual to figure out he's a motorsport fan. He's not going to Formula One by accident. Um, there's the content itself then as well. Of course, there's a load of information you can get from the content itself. And I think pairing that with good creative is going to be very, very important going forward because we've kind of forgotten a little bit about the creative yeah. over the years uh, as we chase the individual. Yeah, yeah. No, we did. And we've like, we've done a lot of work in Dense around that. Like, I mean, think of the remarketing. is just like, it's just whatever you looked at in a, in a white um, board or frame and following your end away with a price on it. Like, it's just, it was really bad. Like, it was, there was not a lot. But again, like, the the kind of what we would call the traditional creative agencies weren't really set up to do um, performance marketing at scale, just the creative requirements. So that that is definitely something that is that automation has improved because you can actually, and you can do some nice stuff. We've done some really nice stuff. The design on, um, you know, uh, dynamic creative is, is far better. We've put a lot more effort and the industry's putting a lot more effort into what those ads look like. But yeah, it was really poor for a while. Um, I love data. I do love data. Um, but I, I do I do have a bit of a problem and it's kind of related to what I was saying in the last couple of questions. Um, I, you know, I think we focus too much on in-market. Um, so that might sound a bit mad because obviously you want to you want to get people that are in market. But the thing about an agency is, and I think agencies versus say, you know, you go to management consultants if you want to you want to get some advice in your business, and they will they might give you some advice about technology and data. Um, they may also get into um, telling you that you're you've got too many people. You need to be more lean and and you know downsize and become more operationally efficient. When you think about an agency, when you go to an agency, you are you are trying to create demand. You, we're not. You're not going to. Um, we're not going to give you advice on how to kind of look at your supply chain. You are. You are looking to create demand in the market. So when you think about that, and I think that's the role of an agency. Any agency in, in advertising creates demand. So, and um, when you think about in market, um, and you follow that to the nth degree. Well, it means that nothing new will ever, ever succeed because yeah. there is no audience for that until you know. And I think a lot of clients. Well, we let other people try and create a demand and we'll just kind of harvest that demand. But I think like the big problem I have is that growth audiences are not the same as an in-market audience. So again, are we just being lazy here? Do you think we rely too too much on in-markets? Um, 
And, you know, that's never going to drive incrementality. It's not going to bring in new users. If you only say, as soon as anyone searches for it or, or shows some interest in the content, we'll serve them an ad. But like there's so much of, of, of demand is being missed in terms of creating that. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it, it effectively becomes a zero sum game. Yeah. Um, as you're as you're chasing those in market, um, people. I mean, where where that data comes from is typically it's typically search data that mm. that powers that. Um, and and going back to the example I gave earlier of the the beauty tick boxes, it's the same idea with those in market segments. You get somebody who's in market for I don't know car insurance renewal. You and your twenty competitors are chasing that yeah. one person. You're all ticking the same box. And what you're doing is you're driving up your own price and you're 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 reducing your own ability to reach more people. Mm. Uh, you do that over a you do that over a series a, a, a period of time and eventually your your segment gets smaller and smaller and smaller until we end up with nothing and there's there is no new demand being created yeah. there. Um the I I guess the challenge the challenge we have with that at the moment is um platforms that are being used typically will specialize in 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 one or two areas they are not um they're not designed to cover a full spectrum of um demand generation plus um plus dr plus even going down into something as niche as e-commerce um so what what you end up then is needing multiple platforms and multiple multiple approaches to actually build out these in these entire um campaigns um but again the resource kind of isn't there to do that today because there's so much time spent fighting the fraud and mm. fighting the inefficiencies that can exist and trying to find good inventory um that you end up sort of condensing yourself into a single platform and that almost then forces you back into these in market segments because it's the only thing you actually have the time left to do it's a it's a big flaw in the industry we've 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 moved away over the last 5 to 10 years um from ecosystem specialists, people who really understood how the RTB protocol worked, how yeah. DSPs and SSPs, that's demand side platforms and supply side platforms would trade with one another, where you could leverage a platform's tech, whether it was in location or user identification, whether it was context or some sort of semantic mm. understanding. All these different platforms that, that were used have kind of been condensed down into one or two and people have then become platform specialists. Right. So you no longer have the scope to to try and actually address some of these challenges that you're talking about in terms of this sort of this uh, honing in on just these few individuals. So there's definitely, it's almost like we need to be taking some steps backwards in order to take steps forward mm. where we need to go back to just good creative, contextually relevant environment with trusted publishers in addition to some of the the in-market activity we're doing as opposed to it needing to be one or the other. Yeah, yeah. No, great point, great point. And like it's something you, you just talked about it there. What you see is, you know, too many people, everybody taking that box and chasing a shrinking segment and then you know it's just it's like there's a there's what's called the, the performance paradox um you know and when you think about you know going back into to people in market again taking that literally what you what you're going to do you're going to get people that we're probably going to buy already right you know so that's what happens in that instance people have said oh i'm ready to buy this so so what what that can then do is it can give you a, a false data in terms of the true cost of that when you measure that data so you start looking at people again again the problem is with you're not going to get any incrementality which is a problem but because you could be looking at an uh, an unrealistic version of the truth in terms of 
yeah, of course those people look cheaper because they were already going to buy. Um, and then you set benchmarks on that and then that becomes your, your CPA, your holy grail. And you're kind of stuck in this vicious, you know, downward spiral of, of having to chase those people all the time. It's just, it's, it's, and it's a measurement issue as well. I think some, you know, when you're looking at that, if you only measure people who are already going to buy, it looks unrealistically low. So what, what's your view on measurement? What's the future on measurement, given a lot of the complications and, and everything that we've talked about? It may be unfair or a really difficult question to give me a, a short-ish answer on, but as best you can, what, what's your point of view? And again, either as an industry or from Converge, what are we, what's measurement? What's the future look like? And um, where are we going? Yeah, I think, I think I, I, I guess a lot of what we do has been driven by the idea of last touch attribution, the idea that you're sitting on the train on your way home from work one day and you see an ad for a broadband provider and you pick up the phone then and there and you get your new 50 meg broadband package or your 200 meg broadband package or however many megs mm. broadband companies give you these days. Who knows? Who knows? It's in the thousands probably <laughs> at this stage. And what that then obviously leads to is, well, that's if that's where your attribution is coming from, that's where everybody wants to be. Everybody wants to be at that last moment. But that last moment, I don't know about you, but I certainly would never find myself in a situation barring may maybe like once in a blue moon where I see something online and I go, oh, that's 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 a great idea. I'll do that. I might at least sit down and go off to the missus and say, here, look, should we change our electricity provider yeah. or does the car insurance need renewal? I never go, oh, look, there's an ad for car insurance. I think I'll get some car insurance. It just, I just don't, I just don't believe anybody acts that way. And yet that's, that's how, that's we, how we measure, that's how we measure ourselves. Um, I, I guess we used, we used to refer to it in terms of, in terms of beating that system, which, and, and ultimately that's, that's what these are. They are systems as almost like, um, and this is probably me showing my age. It was, it was, we called it the Filippo and Zaghi approach where Filippo right. and Zaghi never scored a goal for more than about three yards <laughs> out. And he just stood there. He yeah. barely moved. He barely ran. Uh, he just stood there. He scored for a lot of goals, though. He scored a lot of goals. And he just stood there for when the goalkeeper would parry it or a teammate would pull it back or whatever it was. Uh, and he would just tap it into the empty net. Mm. And that's that's essentially what attribution became. And it's something that we absolutely have to move away from. And what it's also led to is metrics almost being used as a, as a stick to beat people. Yeah. And that's, again, whether it's the attribution piece, whether it's, I mean, God forbid, anybody's still looking at clicks in this day and age. Um, obviously, viewability in the last few years has become um, the big thing to beat a stick with where... If you're, I, I don't know, you might have 70% viewability on your site, but good God, that means 30% of your ads were never seen. And as, as if viewability is actually some sort of real world metric that yeah. allows us to, to properly measure. All viewability does is tell us that a series of pixels appeared on a browser somewhere. Mm. That's all it is. And when you actually explain it that way, it's an exceptionally boring topic. Mm. Um, where where we think, and I guess where this, this should and really has to go is... Um, we we need to give real world measurements uh, and real world outcomes. Not like you're not going to walk into Spire with a spreadsheet and say, "Hey, look at what I generated today. Can I have a sandwich for my lunch, please?" <laughs> um, what so what we're looking at? One of the things we're doing at Converge, as I mentioned at the beginning, is we're going to have attention in there because yeah. it is a far more uh, translatable metric back to what's happening in reality. Um, we're calling these. We're looking at all these as positive measurement as opposed to just another number. So mm. where where can this actually have an actionable an actionable output? Um, uh, something like our, our carbon measurement tool, uh, which will allow brands to either optimize the amount of carbon that their campaigns are spitting out. You hear numbers like 4% of global emissions 
um, come from internet usage. And when you try to when you try to visualize or quantify, well, what does four percent actually mean? Uh, it's very hard to do so. But then if you've got a I don't know, a ride sharing app and they run a campaign and it spits out a ton of carbon and you try to compare, well, what's a ton of carbon and maybe it's a flight from Dublin to Knock. Yeah. Um, well, now, now you've got something to compare it to. So we're giving giving that sort of measurement to allow brands to, I, I guess, to give to arm them with the information to either optimize mm-hmm. what they're doing uh, or potentially if they've got a, an offset, some sort of credit offset program to actually offset to, to deliver carbon neutral advertising. So it's, it's trying to give measurement to actually deliver a, an actual outcome, yeah, as so opposed, a more meaningful measurement, me, meaningful yeah. measurement, exactly, as as opposed to measurement to to create an Excel spreadsheet, yeah, uh, and that's 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 a big a big a big goal of ours, and and I I, I strongly believe that's the direction we're going to go with this. Yeah, and that's really that's really interesting because um you know I mentioned Karen Nelson Field, she's done a lot of work on on engagement and the attention economy. She's I'm supposed to she's supposed to be coming on the podcast tomorrow but like I a uh, new baby yesterday so I've had to kick that yes, out congratulations yeah, thanks that's all this is a welcome break from from the madness that is at home at the moment but um so I'm gonna have to get her back she's back on in a couple of weeks but yeah no it's really it's it's great I have to say look it's great to hear some of those things you're doing um I'm not gonna keep you too much longer but it's just a couple of questions it's like what does targeting look like now when we if we ever eventually just like get up there's no cookies just accept they're gone what does targeting look like um, from that point of view as we move forward yeah I think I think I mentioned earlier that there's there's a lot of efforts going into recreating the cookie and I, I, I can't see how that works because it will either need global adoption of a single standard by many 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 yeah. billion dollar companies or it will need the industry to all come together with a, a neutral body like the IAB, for example, and everybody input, and then something goes off the back of it, which again, when you've got so many vested interests, is always going to be tricky. Um, I think targeting is going to, a lot of the responsibility is going to fall on the publishers. Um, they are ultimately the gatekeepers of the relationship with the with the consumers. They are the ones who have the first party data and mm-hmm. are the ones who are in a position to share it. Um, it's very important they don't go down some of the paths they've followed in the past and essentially given it away. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think there are some certain certain areas of the media that have been have been worse than others. Um, we are though seeing publishers already beginning to start taking back that that ownership. We've seen the Washington Post have launched Zeus, which is their own dedicated buying platform. Mm. Um, ITV will only trade their their VOD <coughs> uh, via Planet V, which is their own system. There is there's lots of scope and opportunity for Irish publishers there as well to actually deliver their own their own solutions. Auto- automation and targeting and everything else doesn't necessarily need to me- need to mean an RTB protocol. Um, panel data is obviously going to play into it as well, mm. uh, and I, th- I think ultimately at the end of this, we're, we will be modelling everything in the digital world like we do in all other forms of media. Yeah. Um, I, I think we will get to a point where we stop thinking of digital media as digital media, yeah, uh, yeah. and we just start thinking about it as 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 media and modelling the value of your your digital sign at the side of your bus stop versus your 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 TV ad on a player versus your display ad on a browser, um, and, and I think we're going to get there probably a lot quicker than most most expect at the moment cool um yeah and come moving on from that kind of two questions really so you know you think about measurement and and getting kind of without a cookie getting a true view on um cross-platform reach and stuff like that it becomes a bit tricky um so if does that really play into into the like if you go if you advertise on meta um on the facebook platform 
and across a suite of tools that that Meta now have, you can get it kind of rolled up. You can get reach within that walled garden. So does this kind of just this mess um, and the, the kind of the uncertainty at the moment make these guys who are already too strong to be honest with you but does it make them even stronger now again that's the first question so how do you how do you you talked about so um ver, uh, itv and the washington post these guys are big and they're in big markets with scale technology is pretty much fixed cost it doesn't usually scale up in terms of the size of your audience there's a, there's a fixed cost of, of inventory in that one which means it's disproportionately expensive for irish publishers so first question is are local publishers going to be wounded more so than they've already been after quite a tough 10 years um, and will Facebook and Google get stronger? And second of all, with cookies, the demise of cookies, does that mean specifically for Ireland, it's far more tricky because, you know, it's, it's harder to find your community, your communities of people to find your targeting tribes because just the scale that we have. So two questions in one for you. Yeah, I would I would say short term, yes, it makes Google and Facebook. Um, I don't call them meta. That's just a <laughs> that's just a stunt. Um, I, I it certainly makes them stronger. Um, frustratingly, an awful lot of the regulatory changes that have come over the recent years have just handed more yeah. uh, more more dominance to them. And until until um, until legislation can actually figure out how to get quicker than technology. Uh, that's that's going to continue to happen. Um, there's a lot of stuff that are going on in the States which will will hopefully start to filter through soon enough and uh, start to drag those guys back to the rest of us. Um, in, in in terms of the the local market, I, I would actually say the local market has a has a greater opportunity than either the UK or the US to actually start spinning up these new sele- uh, solutions. Right. Um, there are certainly uh, costs to technology. There will always be costs to technology. Um, but one of the... One of the key challenges every publisher in every market faces, um, and, and agencies for that matter, is is um, is resource. Mm. And it's you know, as I mentioned earlier, in order to um, to get away from, get out of the weeds, you've almost got to take that step back and and figure out right what are, what are you guys doing that is that is taking up all this time and is taking up all this resource and in many cases it's something as mundane as sticking a start date and end date a book total and a targeting into a platform and when you look at processes like programmatic guaranteed for example and you've got somebody on the buy side who does that and somebody on the sell side who does mm. that and maybe somebody on the finance team and the planning team and they all do that and you're doing the same thing five or six times it's it's hugely inefficient um one of the one of the opportunities off the back of this is is to actually use the tech to automate a lot of those processes to then free up the resource to do higher value um to create higher value opportunities commercial and technical and um, the reason i think that the the irish market in fact and the, there's a lot of markets outside the us and the uk who, who stand to benefit is we have a relatively condensed market there's there's x number of agencies and there is maybe 25ish publisher groups so when when you think of the potential fragmentation that that could cause, it's 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 going to be relatively limited. Yeah. And some some simple automation across that. Um, if you look at the the audio world, for example, there's five there's five primary primary um, platforms there. Now they're all their own walled gardens. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's Spotify or Audio XI, um, or or ACAS, for example, um, there there is no overlap between the mm. three of them. Um, simple automation across audio is 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 almost inevitable and yeah. um, just to, to try and make that more tradable same on the on the vod side of things where you've got a handful of players in rt virgin channel 4 tg4 um 
again, automation there is a natural evolution um, as as it, as in in the TV world as it was with ITV, where again you can get people out of those um, more more menial activities and into higher value tasks. And because there is only the four of them, you're not talking about North America and the states yeah, where yeah. you've got dozens of networks and hundreds of channels yeah, within the networks. Less of the means cooperation well, exactly. and it, collaboration. It, it means as easier. as as brands and agencies start to pull back out of those exchanges, there's just much more scope to be more collaborative. You don't need yeah. to run around. If you look at say a market like um, Switzerland or Germany, for example, where we're where we're do where we're working, um, the Swiss market has three or four dominant sales houses, and that's it. Yeah. So it's very very simple to to curate a marketplace there right. to to work um, to work with those local publishers and bring bring the brands and brands and the buyers and sellers closer together. Same same with Germany, where you've got a, a sort of a sales house culture. You look in the UK by contrast, and you've got hundreds yeah. hundreds of different publisher offerings. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's I think there's plenty of scope. I think there's plenty of opportunity. Um, and 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 I think I don't think being in the Irish market is a is a negative in any way, shape, or form. Good. Yeah. No, that's good because it can seem a bit. You know what chance have we got? Um, and particularly as well if you're a publisher now, because we're so close, like we're so close to the UK, same language, content coming in. Like it's just it's a tough market to be in publishing in this in this um country. Uh, I I quickly just want to talk about you know there's been a huge amount of negativity again you know rightly rightly so and some cases probably unfairly so but fake news misinformation how quickly that can spread um and you know the the publishers will they have you know quality control in terms of an editor and to what goes in the paper when you're kind of working on the long tail and, and you know some of the things we talked about before um you're not sure where you're where you're ads are, are showing up um, and it's probably a criticism that I have it's probably based on, on, on the exchange of the ad networks more than anybody else so you can't speak for everybody but what are the things that you are doing um, in your company Converge to make sure that ads are only appearing among brand safe content and I know look there's examples where things can go wrong for anybody but like the last thing you want is you don't want your ads appearing against you know racist commentary or anything like that or or because it funds this even if you look at like a couple of ads it could be tiny amount but like these things generate in, they, the ads on those sites and publications generate income for the people so you don't want your brand funding any of this what are you guys doing how seriously do you take it um and what are the types of measures that you're doing that you can give brands comfort around safety yeah so we take it very seriously first and foremost um it's, I mean, from my own personal perspective, I've got two young kids and I would rather they grow up in a slightly nicer planet than it is right now. And I don't think, I don't think many, certainly parents would disagree with that. Mm. Um, we, in the, in the media world in general, most channels, the brand, the advertiser, the agency has a choice as to where their ads appear. So if you're, if you're running on RTE and you don't want to, you don't want to appear beside the six one news. You just mm -hmm. tell them I don't want to be beside the six one news. What's what's happened all too often in the programmatic world is that choice has been taken away from brands and agencies, and that's where you start needing um, tools of various vendors and tools coming in to try and protect in inverted commas. What we do in Converge is we give that choice back to the brands and the agencies and um, we allow them to curate their own marketplace so they right. can make those decisions as who they want to support and who they want to fund i will have my own opinions and i don't think we we'll get into those because we'll be here all day uh, as to what is and isn't uh, acceptable mm -hmm. in terms of content that's put out there and um, 
but we let the brands make those decisions for themselves. Um, in saying that, we we will not work with some publishers who yeah. who fall the wrong side of the, the who cross the line essentially. Yeah. Uh, and again, I won't go into to who those publishers are, but we we don't focus on the long tail. We've no interest in it. Um, it's just too problematic. We yeah. focus on premium publishers and trying to support those premium publishers. We would we would love to see more brands um, using taking that mindset. Um, there is a trust um, that that ad tech and programmatic has broken over the years. This idea of I have to protect myself from the Irish Times running brand safety on the Irish Times, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, what what does that mean? Brand safety was developed to protect you from adult content yeah. or hate speech or guns or violence or whatever it is. You can't find that content on the Irish Times because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. If you go to the Independent, you're not going to find illegal Premier League football streams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not brand safety we're talking about here. It's brand suitability that we're talking about. And that's where the publishers can actually work with the brands to make sure that those those elements are aligned. Um, so to that then in turn helps to fund those publishers. It helps to fund proper news. It helps to fund proper content. Um, and if we can get away from essentially pumping money into unknowns and bad parts of the web and start focusing on what is good, uh, again, that's subjective and people yeah. people will have to make up their own decisions on what is good. Um, but as an industry and as a as a society, as much as anything, like some of the some of the terrible things that ad tech is inadvertently created over mm. the years so whether we go back to Cambridge Analytica and again you can mm. spend an afternoon on that um, the the actual efforts that, that we're making is to try and help brands reach those publishers in a more direct and integrated manner while still being able to benefit from the automation because we don't want yeah, anyone yeah. doing manual IOs or anything else like that um, but giving that automation but also giving that access um, in a safe trusted and controlled manner that's, that's how we're going to help fund proper independent and objective journalism moving forward very good so um yeah delighted to hear that um i just gonna before you go uh, the the research that you did or the the aware sorry what the meaningful metrics that we talked about so um attention and i got i got the carbon i got the carbon bit which is cool well i guess gonna become more important but the attention talk to me a little bit about that how are you or is it again? Is it too technical? But how are you measuring attention? If that's a metric that you're putting into some of your campaigns, what have you done? How recent is that? Um, and if anyone wants to find out a little bit about it, have you written anything about it? Have you posted anything about it? Or is it is it um, or is it is it just something that's built into your campaigns? It, so because a lot of people listen won't maybe haven't heard about this yet. Um, so what's it look like? What what do you mean by how do you how do you um, measure effectively attention and you know where can anyone find out anything about it if they if they say that sounds really cool because it sounds great <laughs> to me now to be honest it sounds brilliant now and maybe you can just even point somebody in the direction of an article or anything like that but if you got anything you can share about it yeah so the the, the short answer is no because we only launched it last week right um, you heard so, it here for another yeah. another yeah, another yeah. exclusive on inside marketing uh, so yeah, we we only we only launched the measurement package um, a week or so back. At the moment, we're just including it all as as standard with every campaign that's running through the platform, um, and that's that's the that's the plan for the for the moment anyway. In terms of in terms of how the the attention is actually working, so we've partnered with um, Lumen, who are right. the the world leaders in this space. Uh, and it's leveraging their eye tracking technology oh, right. uh, in combination with their they've a they've a big panel of users um, and their attention model to actually um, essentially create 
um, models of where people are um, actually spending their time looking at the at at at, at content. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's been very interesting to start seeing the data coming back. Um, I have I have an I have sort of a I guess it's a personal ambition, uh, which is to try and instead of that one to one idea, it's to actually give buyers and sellers the ability to properly value mm-hmm. um, media. So yeah. to to look at a single impression and be able to say, okay, there's going to be X amount of attention with that. We know the content is this, so it comes with that sort of value. We know the device is that, so it comes with that sort of value. We know the in-market nature, the the environment the person finds themselves in this. And to deliver that on both the buy and the sell sides to to give people a chance to fairly price the media. And that's and that's what this is all about. It's 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 creating a fair price. And I believe attention is going to be a, yeah. a, a key a key part of that because it is such a uh, a real world measurement mm. um that it should it should help to to build out that overall model at the moment it is it is a standalone it is a standalone number within the platform um but even 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 the the initial data that's coming back what we've seen with with brands and agencies who've partnered with us is there the attention that they have um the curated marketplaces they have created on our platform mm-hmm. uh, in general achieve about four times more attention than um than buying across exchanges in more traditional programmatic ways. Now that's kind of what we would have expected because when you curate a marketplace, you tend to look at the premium end of the market. Yeah. You tend to focus on good publishers with good content. So it's it's really interesting being actually able to see from from your own opinion. Here's here's a really um, subjectively engaging piece, um, and then being able to go back and look at the attention data and, mm. and actually see that it's well able to capture the the user is very engaged in those environments and. As I mentioned, with a lot of with a lot of measurement and attribution to be modelled moving forward, um, giving giving people the ability to to interpret the value there, yeah. um, is is going to be very important moving forward. Right, I've kept you longer than I said I would. Um, so and we had a slow start with with tech, as as the irony of it, we had a slow as start with our tech as ever. Out, as ever, <laughs> it's always the way. Um, I'm going as I say, I'm going between talking to people on on teams and then doing it in real life. And every time I change, I can't remember how I used to do it the old way. So, um, but not that that's great. Look, there's loads of like you're doing lots of great lots of great things. Um, you seem to be taken a stand on lots of things that are problematic within the industry so I wasn't aware of some of the stuff you're doing so that's it's really good best of luck with everything um, thank you and yeah and keep up the good work and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear somebody who works in your line of business saying that um, you know I just wish the cookie be done away because I just think this reluctance to, yeah, to just put in the bin. on is just get rid of it right get just rid of it get rid of it um, but yes thanks Ian thanks so much for joining me today um, and thanks to everyone for listening so if you like this episode why not listen back to some of our other amazing evergreen content episodes you'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice thanks to our partners in Irish Times Media Solutions and thanks as always to Kira and Andrea on sound until next time stay safe The Inside Marketing Podcast brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions 